Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We live? live? We're live. Look at that. What's up, Z family? It's your boy, Dr. Zubin Damania. And yes, I said Dr. Zubin Damania and not ZDogMD because I am in the presence of a professor <laughs> of anesthesiology, Dr. Neil Fleming, who is professor of anesthesiology at UC Davis right here in Cali. And it's interesting because we're here in Irvine, California, in the OC, keeping it real at Edwards Life Sciences because they kind of uh, talked to me and they were like, do you know about hypotension, low blood pressure, mm -hmm. in the intraoperative setting? And I said, I'm a hospitalist. I know that I take care of patients who have complications after the intraoperative setting. And I pre-op patients before they go into the OR. Mm -hmm. And I've rotated through the OR, but I haven't thought about managing blood pressure and low blood pressure in the OR in a long time. And I learned a lot, which is, Low blood pressure in the operating room actually could be more dangerous than we thought. And we've been very complacent about it. And the question is now, is there something we can do to better recognize it, to maybe predict it a little bit earlier and be more proactive in our management of it? And that's why I wanted to talk to you. So that's like everything done right there. We're done. The okay. show's over. Thank you, guys. All right. uh, see you guys later. Now, so... First of all, let's back up from first principles for a second because I had to learn a lot to understand, relearn a lot to understand the physiology okay. here. A lot of our fans work in the OR, mm -hmm. either as surgeons, anesthesiologists like yourself, okay. uh, or uh, scrub, you know, OR techs, nurses, etc. In the operating room, as an anesthesiologist, the way that you would often measure blood pressure in, say, uncomplicated patients is you'd have a cuff, yeah. just like on the floor. Mm -hmm. that inflates every three to five minutes and checks your blood pressure. Yeah. But it turns out, you know, you're missing obviously a lot of data points, but who cares, right? If the blood pressure's a little low and you catch it five minutes later and maybe you do something about it and you check it again in five minutes. Why is that not the best way to think about blood pressure? I don't know if it's uh, the best way, but it's the way we've done it forever. So it should be okay, right? Of course, right? Because we know the status quo in medicine is the bomb. Change is hard. It changes really hard. Uh, like, for example, they have wired me up to this thing. And it is a real-time sensor called ClearSight that they're using to measure blood pressure in real-time, non-invasively. Yeah. And even though my finger looks like it's going to fall off... It, it, won't. it won't. It won't. Why won't it fall off? 
we've seen this. You've seen this. It's, so yeah, just, I've seen a, yeah. a guy impaled through the chest and he didn't die. So it's disconcerting. It's a little bit of venous congestion. It's what happens with this system. So it's venous congestion, not bit. arterial. That's correct. Got it. So it's yeah. venous blood pooling, but actually you can feel there's still cap refill and it feels fine. Yeah. Now back to the yeah. main, the main premise though, why, why does low blood pressure in the OR matter at all? Well, well, it used to be like the standard admonition. Anytime we didn't know what to do with an anesthetic, we'd ask a hospitalist or an internist, what should we do to take care of this patient? And they tell us, avoid hypoxia and hypotension. Right. That was like the classic advice. And the reason we say that is, well, classically, hypotension is bad. It yeah. leads to bad physiologic outcomes yeah. in patients outside of the operating room. Yeah. But it turns out now there's data that inside the operating room. Yeah, because I think for a while we used to think that there was some sort of maybe even protective sort of stuff. I mean, you were, you're anesthetized, you're, you're kind of, it's not really hibernation, but maybe it's okay that your blood pressure is a little low because mm. the demands aren't as great, maybe it's okay. But I think what's happened over time is that, that well, one, we've, we've got a whole bunch of information now. Um, all of the operating room data is streamed into all these servers and computers are looking at all these numbers, these huge numbers. And now we can see things that we couldn't see before. Because we used to just think that if the patient survived, mm. we're cool. Yep. But, Keep them alive <clears throat> till five. That was our but, motto. But now what we're seeing is there's a whole bunch of other bad things that happen afterwards. And then by looking at, at all this information we now have available, we can see that there's associations between bad outcomes and low pressure in the operating room. So, and again, physiologically, this, this isn't that surprising. Although you'd mentioned, no. yeah, we thought, well, if you're, if you're in this hibernated sleep state, you know, again, yes. your physiologic demands aren't that high. Maybe you can tolerate a lower yeah. blood pressure, but it turns out that's probably not the case. It's probably not the case and, and probably relatively limited amounts of low blood pressure can really have an impact down the road. Even for a short period of time, according to some data out of They're, Cleveland, 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 Cleveland Clinic and other places. Cleveland Clinic's really good because they have, they've accumulated this huge pile of information, interoperative data, and they've been able to really leverage what they have learned there and, and I think give us some really more objective guidelines and targets that are more manageable other than just avoid. Right, right. So the targets that they're sort of thinking about are something like a mean arterial pressure of 65 at the lowest. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because in other settings, you know, we'll be like, oh, you know, keep his map above 60. If it drops at 50, you know, for a while, okay. who cares? It's yes, okay. Right. Yeah. But increasingly, when you actually look at big data sets, there are associations with bad things. Yes. And so then it becomes a question of, well, in the OR, if we're going to actually prevent too much hypotension, because mm -hmm. it seems like it's an area under the curve, the more hypotension you have. Deeper, longer deeper, longer hypotension, the more yeah. potential bad outcomes you can have. So, the, yeah. so then the question is, is that cuff that's inflating every three to five minutes sufficient to allow you to manage hypotension uh, in a proactive way? Probably. You're missing, well, you're missing four minutes out of five worth of data. Right. So if we have more information, we then can decrease the overall time that the pressure is lower. If we have more information coming down the pike, we can, we can follow trends right. that we couldn't before. So right. there's basically more dots in the graph. So right. I think you can see the trends more easily. Um, so for both those reasons, um, 
continuous data is, I think, consistently shown to give you better guidelines. Got Gui it. Better guidance, I now, guess. Now, assuming that it's not just throwing all the data at you, like every second you see what the blood pressure is. Like, for yeah. example, right now, I'm on this uh, ClearSight monitor and I have a full stream of blood pressure, 137 over 84, up to 161 as I point it up there, That's up to 177 mm. as I watch it, yeah. and okay. then I stop watching it and it yeah. goes down. Yeah. And that is an accurate blood pressure when I do a show, guys. If I stroke <laughs> out in front of you now, you need to know, okay? Love you, Z-Pack. <laughs> I love you. I don't want to die, Logan Stewart. <laughs> All joking aside, so this real-time data, it's fascinating. So for me, it's fascinating because ever since they plugged me in right as I started the show, my initial blood pressure was like 120. The minute I started looking at it, it creeps up. That is like a type of white coat hypertension. And yeah. I've always had this. It's an adrenergic response where I get sympathetic overdrive. Not only that, That's but we're live on a show yeah. with someone much smarter than me. Don't put it on me. It's all on you, yeah. Dr. Fleming. Yeah, no. <laughs> Don't put it on me. Don't you put that evil on yeah, me, no. Z-Dog MD. Uh, but the idea then that now we know in real time, yeah. beat to beat variability. And how does this thing work, by the way? It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so I'm it, not flipping you guys off. <laughs> this is just where the probe is. It, it, it shines a light through your finger. Okay. And measures the light that comes out on the other side. So kind of like a, a pulse ox. Uh, like almost. a pulse ox, yeah. the same sort of thing. And then it has, and you know how when you whack your thumb with a hammer? I do it all the and, time. And, and you can feel it just throbbing? Yeah. Well, that's, that happens normally. You just feel it more after you hit yourself with a hammer and finish swearing. Um, and so what it does is it has a blood pressure cuff that basically inflates every time the pulse comes down the finger. Oh. And so that's basically a, an exact reflection of the blood pressure. Exact in real time. But time. it's a peripheral uh, measurement. So is it affected by pressors, agents we use to raise blood pressure? Is it affected by peripheral vascular disease, things like that? <sighs> Math is involved. Got it. Because your pressure here is different from your pressure there is different from your pressure here. Got it. So they do some corrections for that. Got it. And there are some times when it's not going to work well. Right. If you have really bad peripheral vascular disease, sometimes it doesn't work well. But in general, it works pretty good. So what we have here then is a non-invasive way to measure blood pressure in real time that gives our anesthesiologists and our OR team a real time wave of what's going on with blood pressure. If blood pressure is important, which we're positing the data is suggesting that it is. Blood pressure is important. Right. It also gives you a whole bunch of other information that we didn't used to have. Like what? Which is amazing. Well, it, it measures your cardiac output. Oh, cardiac output, which is stroke volume times heart rate, if I recall from physiology. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so you can calculate it based on what parameters would you do then? The, the machine does it? The machine does it. It looks yeah. at, basically it looks at the size and the shape of the, of the pressure. Yeah. Calculates the stroke volume, multiplies by your heart rate, and measures cardiac output. Got it. So, okay, so you can check cardiac output. Now, to me, this brings us to management of this. Yeah. Because the only reason you want to know any measurement, and this is important, right? Yeah. Why measure something if you're not going to do anything with it? And, I mean, the reason I came to Edwards here, we flew out here to talk about this, is there's compelling reasons that knowing this information in a real-time way, without having to stick an art line in, yeah. right, something invasive, which you can do for very sick patients. We do it a lot. But what about our routine patients, our mom who goes in for the gallbladder? Like, if yeah. you can know in real time, the question is, what are you going to do with the data? 
Yeah. If you're going to do something that's not going to cause harm and over-treat, but you're going to do something that actually prevents bad outcomes mm -hmm. uh, or can help us more proactively manage this, then it's worth doing. And in this yeah. case, it is. Because what can you do in the OR to, to manage low blood pressure? What are sort of some of the things you would do? What do you remember? Well, I remember... <laughs> well, I remember this. The cuff inflates, the anesthesiologist go, it goes... <laughs> makes a little alarm. Right. The anesthesiologist boredly looks up from their paper and goes, hmm... Z-Dog is 157 over 97. Let's pretend it's not, you know, a map of uh, 50. Anesthesiologist goes, cycle the cuff again. Maybe we'll give a bolus of 250 cc's of normal saline that's hanging here. IV fluids. IV fluids. So yeah. some volume in the vessel that will raise the blood pressure. Or it could be what, like a blood? You could give blood as a volume? We, we hope not. But yeah, anything. We could give albumin. We could give... Yeah, salt water, anything, any IV fluid. That um, increases blood volume. Just expands blood volume, gives the heart you know, more, more, more push, more preload. Right, which allows it to um, better perfuse the tissues, which yeah. is yeah, with the badness we want to avoid. Yeah. What about uh, like then, a, changing the anesthesia agent? Could you do that? You could. It's kind of important, though. You don't want to take it away. Uh, and, and we do, now we add a bunch of monitors. Actually, we're starting a whole other world about, that's maybe another show oh, about Oh, anesthesia awareness. Yeah, and monitoring brains. And have you done that one yet? I haven't. Okay. Will you come on and do that with us? Uh, it depends. We could put some probes on and see, maybe or maybe. You don't want to probe yeah, my brain, no. Dr. Fleming. No, it's, there's nothing there. Okay. It'll be a flat line. So you <clears> but could, you could do that. So that mm. there are guidelines for that. And then there's also drugs. I mean, mm. anesthesiology, we're into drugs. Uh, vasoconstrictors, uh, so uh, things like phenylephrine mm -hmm. uh, or uh, inotropes. Dopamine, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine. Got it. All those. So drugs, volume, tweak the anesthesia agents. And mm -hmm. in order to make those decisions, you have to know what's going on with the cause or why. suspect. Yeah. Why? Yeah. And there are parameters that can help you. So cardiac output obviously can help you. Yeah. Maybe uh, stroke volume, stroke volume variation, different measures yeah. that you can check. Yeah. Uh, CVP, different monitors. Not anymore. Is, it, is that just not a thing anymore? I don't think it's a thing anymore. I mean, if you look at the data, yeah. CVP is not really, it's not going to tell us what we have been taught it will tell us. Which is volume status. The volume status. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And, and so those sorts of relationships, they look like shotgun blasts. And so that's this whole other world of these dynamic monitors of function that have replaced CVP. That's what these things are bringing us now. See, that's what makes it really interesting to me because I train in the world off. You put in a swan or you put in an IV mm -hmm. uh, uh, catheter and you CVP and, it's yeah. CVP and you yeah. check CVP and that's how you resuscitate. Yeah. And yeah. now we have, again, and because we have the ability to analyze large numbers of, of data points, yeah. we can actually start to do things like create algorithms that can predict hypotension. That's all in the world, yeah. Right. It's computers. Right. Yeah. But just sticking with this for now, so this device, the ClearSight then, in real time, will look at my blood pressure, which is still quite high. Yes. It's also, it, it's also that they've probably put the probe on my back in the wrong position because so I can sit properly, and it's <laughs> artificially inflating it. Either that, or I will stroke out in front of all y'all, in which case, we're gonna get a lot more views. Oh, cool. Oh, a ton of views. Cool. I hope you're ready to be famous, Dr. Neil. Um, so in, in that, in that setting CPR then- CPR certified. It, <laughs> you are? Yeah. I guess he's an anesthesiologist. <laughs> if I'm going down, practice the right place. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, anyway. so, so you can then use the other parameters that you would measure in real time and say, okay, I'm going to give fluid. No, I'm going to back off on the anesthetic. Yeah. Or no, I'm going to uh, maybe give Lasix even. What if I'm volume yeah. overloaded and that's why my cardiac output's low? Could be. Right. Could be. Yeah. So there's that's lots of different things that could happen. It could be, yeah. 
Can I? Oh yeah, get up there. Save my life. No, I won't save your life. I'll just give you new numbers. I'm dying. Zeta. No, you're not. You're fine. Your index is 3.8. My index is 3.8. <clears throat> Cardiac index 3.8. That's yeah. good. So you're good. That means that, uh, you know, when I, uh, those years of, of, of crack binges that I was doing. No damage. No damage at all. Yeah. You hear that, kids? Smoke that crack. No, I'm kidding. So. <laughs> This, this um, piece is actually can be quite transformative in terms of how you operate as an anesthesiologist. Is it something that right. really has transformed your practice? Yeah, th I mean, this is all new stuff. I mean, there's, there's that whole world. I mean, we still use swan catheters, but we use it in you know, cardiac surgical patients, and that's about it. Yeah, so but no. there's this whole other world of folks that are, they're not really healthy. They're having surgery. They, they have a whole bunch of other stuff going on. You know, the swan gas catheter is pretty invasive, it's expensive, it's complicated, but you know, you'd like that information, and, but you'd like to not take the risks associated with putting that catheter in. Yeah. This opens up all of that patient population to the information that we used to get just from the swan. See, so, and, uh, go ahead. See, this to me, again, when I was training, putting in the swan was the apex of your yeah. line-placing skills. And yeah. I remember being under the drape and doing this whole thing. And I remember also when I did my anesthesiology uh, rotation at UCSF, yeah. the anesthesiologist said, look, this guy probably needs an art line. We were in the middle of the case. Go under the drape and put that in. Don't worry, you can't hurt him. He's under anesthesia. Well, it turns out I could hurt him because I poke, 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 <laughs> till I got it in. When the guy woke up and I saw him post-op, he had pain in the wrist and a bunch of little puncture wounds like a vampire came. Yeah. And that's how we learned to do these procedures, but yeah. I was forever traumatized yeah. because I felt like I did harm, although we needed that art line. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Look at this. All it's doing is turning my finger blue, but it's warm and perfused. It's just venous pooling. Yeah. And this can actually do what, you know, a lot of what uh, yeah. that was doing. Um, and again, it's not a replacement necessarily. No, but it comes pretty close. It comes pretty close. So for the close. little old lady who's having the gallbladder removed, if you can avoid low blood pressure in that patient, yeah. you could avoid outcomes. And some of these problems that you get downstream are, are, are nationally problematic. And yeah. so, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's when I get called as a yeah. hospitalist. Yeah, I mean, well, because they yeah. stay in the hospital longer. Yep. And they have more problems when they go home. Exactly yeah. right. So this could be a way to, to fix it. Now, what's even more exciting to me, and I think this is really cool, and actually what would be interesting is if we could ultimately downscale this and put it in uh, CVS, because then you'd, instead of getting that snapshot, uh -huh. you could get a real-time, sit there and think yourself into hypo or hypertension and see what <laughs> effect it has. Like, it's remarkable that... Well, the feedback. So. The feed, this biofeedback bio for yeah. me, doing a yeah. show, I'm 153 over 97. And I, it makes me wonder, I need to do less shows. Because the area under the curve, of high, but also the, the probe is in a low place. But all that, all I hope, <laughs> yeah. uh, otherwise, me and Neil are going to have some talking after this. <clears throat> the other interesting thing about this is with these data points, there are algorithms that Edwards is working on okay. that yeah. are, are they, they're calling the hypotension predictive index. Yeah. It sounds like they looked at a ton of data points and said, could we actually start to anticipate hypotension based yeah. on patterns? Yeah. Well, what's the deal with that? Seems to work. Um, so I Robot guess- Robot apocalypse coming, <laughs> coming. It's coming. Well, I, I think they took a lot of the data from a monitor like this. So mm -hmm. they looked at, at the shape of that, that blood pressure waveform and they look at 
you know, how broad or narrow it is. Um, they look at the cardiac index, so how well the heart's working. They look at things like the stroke volume variation. And, and then they kind of break it down to a bunch of other, I think they have like millions of different parameters they looked at. And they just dump it all onto a big computer and say, figure out the best way. And then they took, again, data like they had from the Cleveland Clinic, from some other institutions, and said, here's a patient who's hypotensive. What happened before? Could we see it coming? by looking at all these millions of different parameters. And they developed an algorithm which, you're from Las Vegas, it's an odds thing. Yeah, exactly. It tells you that the, the chances that the blood pressure will be below 65, five minutes from now. That's kind of cool. Uh, let me summarize that, because I, that is something that to me is absolutely indicative of the transformative power of what they call artificial intelligence, really just algorithms. Yeah. You can look at all this data from real-time probes like this and then build a model that will say, you know, we see patterns. I bet you based on this pattern, it's 99% or 95% likely, whatever the numbers are, that you'll be hypotensive in five minutes. And if you can alert a clinician to that, mm -hmm. they can proactively look at the trends and go, you know what, we may want to give that bit of fluid now or we may want to turn back this, or we may want to give that presser, or we may want to dial up the epi, whatever it is you're doing, yeah. it, it, or the neosinephrine uh, in real time. You guys like neo, don't you? It's become pretty popular. Yeah, yeah. in the OR. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think the, the one important thing is that yeah. you, it's, it's the ant, it will fix the primary problem. Yeah. It will always make the blood pressure better. Yeah. But the nice part is the extra information, because sometimes you can make the blood pressure better yeah. and the output worse. Right, and right, right, right. So by this information yeah, yeah, yeah. tells us it's, there's more than one answer. I mean, bringing the blood pressure up is cool. It makes the surgeon happy. Everyone goes away. They don't stop bothering you. But if you've hurt the patient, that's not so good. And so the extra information from these is, is critical. So the AI actually is more patient-centric than we might otherwise be able to be. Well, the, the, the AI... We're blood pressure-centric. Yeah, well, yeah. the AI is, is predictive of problems before they happen. Right, right, right. So then you can be proactive in managing. And then also additional information as to most appropriate management. Excellent. So better tailored management of hypotension earlier uh, in a way that maybe hopefully we, we, we do good for the patient. I, see, again, that's exciting. You know, we just did a show on Apple Watch and how they're trying to predict fall or, or, or catch falls after they happen, yeah. catch AFib after it happens. Yeah. What if you could catch prevent the fall, before. prevent the AFib? Yeah. You know, hey, you're sounding a little stressed. This pattern's going to lead you to AFib in three, two. Okay, I'm gonna meditate stat <laughs> right <laughs> now. Yeah. Okay, now we have to clarify that um, this this is ClearSight. This is available now. Yeah. And that it's FlowTrack, which is a different device that is going to use the hypotensive, uh, hypotension predictive index. But that index, that, that algorithm is not yet available. So this is actually well, going to come uh, in the future, but it's exciting. The predictive algorithm needs the um, invasive monitor, needs the arterial pressure waveform. Got it. So, and that they, I think Edwards calls it flow track. It's yeah. an actual that, that like a requires the arterial catheter. Arterial catheter, direct arterial catheter, which makes sense because you need the fine, the fine grained. Uh, a little different, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, we're so getting there. This is pretty close. So you yeah. know, if your dream. Right. Yeah. I don't we, know if we're allowed to say that or not. We don't dream on but, this show. But we, okay. we, if you are. Except it, that we do. It's no. obvious. Yeah. yeah so. Currently, the, the, the predictive algorithm just comes from the more robust 
monitor the arterial catheter. Yeah. So folks who work in the OR, folks who care about their patients, floor nurses who uh, have seen bad things that happen from intraoperative hypotension, all of this really matters, which is, which is why I was happy to be taught about it because I didn't realize that just even, you know, th 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 that first of all, the way that we might measure uh, intraoperative hypotension may not, may be a little outdated, that there may be better ways to do it and that managing it might lead to better things and the physiology of how to manage it is fascinating. Yeah. So it's good to yes. know about in general for me as a hospitalist as well. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's all, it's, it's a new world. It's not the world I grew up in, it's not the world I trained in. This is all new information, new data, new approaches. What's the biggest change you've seen in anesthesia in your career now? You You've mean, been doing this for a while? You mean since I started with since, Open Drop Ether? Or? You had Open Drop? No, I did oh. not. <laughs> since you made him bite on the bullet, Dr. <laughs> Neil, how's it been since then? I mean, well, everything, I mean, it's what I tell, I mean, when I, actually, it's what I tell everyone. I mean, the, the drugs are all different, mm. but I think the monitoring is probably the, the, um, the key difference. Mm. Uh, the ability to get all this information without putting in swan catheters or arterial pressures, and then the subtleties of that information, that the additional things like not using stroke volume variation and, and figuring how to do that. I mean, that's what, the last not 10, ten years? Uh, and, and it really, I mean, and a lot of it hasn't really, this is all OR stuff, and it hasn't really crept out yet. I think there's, there's huge potential if it ever gets out, but, but for in, life in the OR, it makes, what we do so much fun. This is so why cool. I kind of like technology, even it's, though I hate it. Because there's some technology like the EHR that's just wrecked our lives, <laughs> but also made it safer for yeah. patients. But then there's technology, and, and that's why, uh, you know, when Edwards uh, and I connected, I said, you know, we should talk about this. Yeah. This because is, this it's pretty, really cool. It is pretty amazing. And I want to talk about it with someone way smarter than me. So I asked Logan I to talk. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Neil. Yeah. Dr. Neil Fleming. Uh, I am hoping to have you back on the show in the future so we can talk more about stuff because you know stuff that us hospitalists don't know. Well, that frightens me. Uh, it shouldn't frighten you. It does. No, though being on this show frightens me. Are you scared? I, that's on you, not Look me. at my blood pressure. I know. I'm 54 over well, 90. I'm a little scared how you're going to go from here. But, but <laughs> well, I got I to gotta fly to or, Orlando to do a talk. That's going to jump my blood pressure to 300. Jaws of the storm there. Yeah, right into the storm. By the way. Mad love. Oh, and check this out. So, um, what what is this, Doctor Neil? Uh, this, I mean, this is the this is the demo from the software that runs the predictive index. So, okay. So the hypotension this predictive you. index. This isn't you. This is not me. Um, but this is this is basically the chances that this demo patient is going to get into trouble, and then um, and then it's a little bit. Yes, you can do this, can't you? There. And then this is all the background information for the prediction. So what happens is you end up... You'll end up seeing the predictive index will start to creep up. And, and the crazy thing is, I mean, we started using this. And, and the mean arterial pressure kind of looks okay. And, and the other, the index, I mean, this is kind of marginal, looks okay. And then this will slowly start to creep up and then you just kind of scratch your head and you try and figure out why it's going up and what to do and then you look at in theory then you look at this other screen 
that tells you where the output is going and, and the stroke volume variation, that, which is the CVP equivalent. Yeah. And then, and then it has this other measurement that, I don't know, maybe it tells you how well the heart's doing. Uh, so that's like the, this would tell you if you needed to give an inotrope. Or, and another measure here that supposedly tells you how compliant the vascular system is, this would tell you if you have to give a vasoconstrictor or not. And by looking at how these numbers change, tells you if you should give more volume, you should give more inotropes, or you should give some afterload increase. And so supposedly it puts you in the right category for treatment so that you fix the pressure, but don't hurt the output. So that's what this is supposed to do. That's dope. I hope that happens. <laughs> that's really cool. So, that's that's so actually putting data to work. By yeah. the way, how many Z-Packers felt like Dr. Neil looked like the dopest weatherman on the planet? <laughs> There's a 22% chance of a low stroke volume. Uh, with a, We have a low MAP front, map front coming in from the north with 102 millimeters of mercury. Bob, back to you. Actually, show, show, show Bob. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry. That, that was tremendous by the way you That's know when cool. I was when I was learning about stuff for this show because I always have to learn about stuff because I'm not so bright I remember uh, trying to trying to read about stroke volume variation uh -huh. and trying to wrap my head around it and just for the ZPAC who care because we're just going to go deep for a second stroke volume variation is stroke volume is how much blood you're squeezing out of the ventricle uh, with each beat, yeah, or yeah. over time? And so it, over, it time. over time. So it relates to cardiac output, how much blood you're pumping out of the heart. And it varies beat to beat based on whether you're breathing in or breathing out. Mm -hmm. And for those in the know, when you breathe in, you create negative pressure in your chest, and that brings a lot of blood to the right side of the heart. It dilates the pulmonary. Uh, capillaries and, and, and arteries, and so you actually uh, pull blood away from the left side of the heart a little bit, right? A little bit. And you maybe bulge a little bit into the left side from the atrium maybe. on the right. And so, so he's like, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> it's close. And then the, it's close. <laughs> it's good enough for gum. And then the blood pressure actually drops a little bit, and that's normal with deep breath. Yeah. And when you breathe out, the opposite happens. It goes up a little bit. So in people who have dysfunction like severe COPD, cardiac tamponade, where the sac around the heart is full of stuff and it won't allow the chambers to dilate, you get something called pulsus paradoxus, yeah. which is a greater than 10 millimeter of mercury change in blood pressure between breath and exhalation. Kusmal. Kusmal sign, if you will, and he will. Okay, <laughs> so that was strictly for the nerds, pulsus paradoxus. Go on rounds today, and you'd be like, uh, yeah, did anyone check a pulsus paradoxus? And they'll turn to the weakest link in the team and be like, yo, did you check pulsus paradoxus? <laughs> and he'll be like, I don't know what that is. And you can just watch the fun. Anyways, that's Medical Bullying 101, guys. Um, what do you think, Dr. Neil? Did we do this? Is there anything else you think is important to talk about? Nothing comes to mind right off. Yeah, man, this guy. He knows stuff. I learn stuff. How's my blood pressure? I'm gonna die. Uh, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Welcome to my world, people. Early onset vascular dementia. It's on. All right, guys. I want to thank Edwards Life Sciences uh, for letting me play with the clear sight, for telling us about the hypotension predictive index on their flow track uh, device and what's the exciting things that are happening. And uh, it's fun to be in Irvine. It's humid. It's humid here. You people have this thing called water in the air.
I don't like it, and yet I do. <laughs> All right, guys, I love you. Hit share, hit like, leave questions in the comments, and uh, we'll see if we can get you answers, and we out. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just gotta ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community really. And we support and love each other and share again through our own experience how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.